It's 835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Boy, what an interesting day. Uh, the announcement about Foxconn will probably be made this afternoon. There's already people trying to throw buckets of cold water on that. We'll be discussing that. Ed Flynn, I think, is, um, well, it looks like he, he made a, a tour of different media outlets yesterday, sort of implying that he's decided to dig in his heels and he knows better than the Fire and Police Commission. And I think he's in a position where he is daring them to take action and all sorts of other stuff, including earlier this morning, you have the fire, the um, you, you have the president of the United States deciding for reasons, in my opinion, that pass understanding at this point in time to announce that he was now going to ban any trans- transgender person from serving in the military. We'll talk about all that. But we start off big thing number one. All right. I want you to play along here. Right. This is a story um, that, that actually it's gotten a lot of attention. It has been reported in the local media, um, both radio, TV and in print. It, it involves what happened to this woman in Greenfield um, Friday afternoon at, at one o'clock. She was parked um, outside a business in kind of a shopping mall near 27th and Grange in Greenfield. This is the way Fox 6 reports it, in part. A birthday weekend turned terrifying when a woman was brutally attacked during an attempted robbery and carjacking outside the store on 27th and Grange in Greenfield. Police are now seeking the suspect and a person of interest. It happened at 1 p.m. on Friday, July 21st. When officers arrived on the scene, they found the 31-year-old victim sitting in her car with significant facial trauma and bleeding heavily. Her story is that she was sitting in the vehicle with the doors locked, checking her phone. It was a birthday weekend uh, for birthday messages and preparing her shopping list, like lots of people do. She says when she got began to get out of her car, she was blindsided. The car door was pulled open by a guy. The man did not say anything, but immediately began striking her in the face with his right fist while wearing brass knuckles. They had a female accomplice who was apparently standing by the side screaming, you know, grab her purse, grab her purse, hit her, those types of things. Um, the female is trying to get into the passenger side, but the doors were locked. She's screaming, get her purse, get her purse. Um, when she hears the word purse, she remembered that she had some pepper spray inside her purse. Um, she's being punched in the face. She grabs it. She sprays him in the face, and the guy runs off. They are now looking for the person. All right, so that, that's the background of what happened. This is the way. The story did not make the print edition of of the paper. But I want to share with you how this is reported. Then I have a question for you. I want to I'll read the story in its entirety. Greenfield police said Tuesday that a woman captured on surveillance video during a retail theft closely matches a suspect in a violent attempted robbery and carjacking last week. Greenfield police are looking for a man and woman in the attack last Friday that left a 31-year-old woman injured in an attack in a parking lot at this location. When officers arrived at the scene, they found the 31-year-old woman sitting in her car, bleeding heavily from facial trauma. The woman victim told police that the car door was pulled open by a male suspect when she was getting out of the car. 
Police said the man immediately began hitting the woman in the face with brass knuckles on his right fist and attempted to pull the woman out of the car by her leg. At the same time, the female suspect was trying to open the passenger door and telling the man that he should grab the purse, according to the media release. The woman was able to grab pepper spray as she was being struck and sprayed the man in the face. He fled the scene in his dark-colored sedan. Police say the woman was transported to freighter and treated for non-life-threatening injuries. Yeah, although she, you know she's she's been doing TV interviews, she's a, just a mess, as you would expect, being punched in the face repeatedly with brass knuckles. Um, during the investigation, detectives learned of a retail theft in neighboring Greendale before the incident, according to the media release. Police said the description of the female suspect in the retail case closely matched the female suspect in this case and fled in a similar vehicle. The female suspect is described as in her late teens or early 20s, 5 feet 7 inches tall, long hair with lower portions being of lighter color. Police said she was last seen wearing a pink top and shorts. The man was last seen wearing a dark brown or black zip-up hoodie and is described by police as a man in his late teens to early 20s, 5 foot 5 with a slim build and a small afro. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That is the way this is reported on the website of the local newspaper. What is, and both suspects are at large. I mean, the police the police in Greenfield have put out a, put out, um, a, a media release um, saying, you know, that they, they want help in trying to find them. What is missing, if anything, from the account of this story in the online edition in the Journal Sentinel? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you notice anything that's missing? We'll see if anybody gets it. It's 841. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 844, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, we apologize. If you tried to call during the break, you were not able to get through because our phone lines were not functioning. We think that um, we have fixed the problem. So 414-799-16. Interestingly enough, our text line was working. Our phone line's not been working, but we think we've got the problem fixed. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Big story number one, brutal beating of a woman and attempted carjacking on Friday. It is reported local newspaper, at least not in the print edition, but in the online edition. I read the description. I read what happened. Um, and my question was, what what was missing um, there? Let me just go again. Our phone lines have been down for a minute. But let me just share a couple thoughts. Um, Greg and Appleton writes, uh, I thought I missed it when you read the story. What, what about, what, was the skin color mentioned? Jeff and Fox Point, the race of the suspects is missing, probably because they are afraid of being called racists. Mike says, um, in Waukesha, with the exclusion of the male having an afro, um, their race was excluded. Um, Steve writes in Greenfield, the race of the suspects, and it, it goes on and on. For everybody who noticed that, you know, take $10 out of petty cash. Yes, the race of the suspects is missing in the Journal Sentinel account. Now, in the Internet edition, they do have the picture, and it's the picture of the female, and it's clearly an African-American female. But there's no, in the description of the male, that the race is omitted. So I became curious. I mean, what? why, why would this be? And so I went to 
the the Greenfield Police Department Facebook page. And they, they have the press release. So I was able to see the press release that they put out um, that clearly was given to the local newspaper because the account, the description, is based on the information that is contained in the press release. Our phone lines, by the way, are working now, 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So I went to the Greenfield Police Department, and I, I pulled up the actual press release that was quoted and was the basis for the story. And again, it goes through the same things. But the, the final paragraph is where the police, the Greenfield police, give the description. Here's what they write. The suspects are described as, number one, a male black, um, medium complexion, um, late teens, early 20s, five foot five, with a slim build and a small afro, wearing a black or dark brown zip-colored hoodie, pulled over his face. So the Journal Sentinel, in reporting this on the Internet, reported the description with the exception of the fact that they specifically deleted the race of the subject. Um, number two, suspect number two, black female, late um, late teens to early 20s, etc., etc., longer hair, etc. Again, the Journal Sentinel, in reporting this on the Internet, provided the description given by the Greenfield police with the exception of making what I think has to be the conscious decision to delete the race of the suspect. Now, it is true they printed, again, the photograph of of the woman, so you can see that she's African-American. But in the text, they reported what the Greenfield police said, except they took out the race of the suspects, presumably because... I don't know. We can't process the fact that in this particular case, the suspects were that they believe committed this crime were black. I mean, for goodness sakes, 414-799-1620. Look, I, I understand that we have to be sensitive about these different types of things. But the truth is, if there are people who are out there who have committed crimes and the police are seeking assistance in trying to identify them, it would seem to me that one of the key components is the race. And in this particular case, they made a conscious decision to not report the race of the suspect. They will deny up and down they do it, but I will tell you, I, it's inexplicable to me that in this story, if you're quoting extensively from the press release, somebody made the conscious decision to delete the race from this while otherwise giving the descriptions that the police offered. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, I, I don't care if they're white or black or brown or whatever. It doesn't make any difference to me. But if you have people who have committed crimes or you believe have committed crimes, and this was a brutal one, I think it is irresponsible in the extreme to make the decision that we are going to sanitize the story by deleting what is a key element of it. And in fairness, I went and I looked at, I, d I don't say that I looked at the coverage of every TV station, but I saw what Channel 6 did, I saw what Channel 4 did, and they prominently reported, again, the race of the suspects. They made the decision not to delete this. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And maybe this is a little thing. But you know, we talked about last week how there were um, Bay Area Rapid Transit, which is the subway that runs under the um, San Francisco Bay. And it's they've been plagued with large groups of black youth 
who have jumped onto the trains and have beaten up people, and they've made the decision that they are not going to release surveillance video that they have because they are afraid that it will cause racial unrest, even though the reality is you've got large groups of black kids that are jumping on the train and beating up people. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage um, talk and text line. Let's start with David and Mequon. David, you're first. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Um, I, you know, it's a very sad state of affairs of the journalism today. Uh, everything is so politically correct, and they're so worried about actually you know, offending somebody else's feelings <laughs> that at the end of the day, they're actually hurting the society because, like you said, it's a key element of right. the description of the person. Um, you, know, you can it, change your clothes. You can change right. your hairstyle. You can't change your race. <laughs> why Why right, would you right. not report that when the police, you know, and obviously somebody made the conscious decision to delete the race from the way this was reported because it is prominently reported in the Greenfield Police Report that they put out to the media asking for help. And, and the bigger thing is this, Jeff, is that, you know, if they're deleting that, what else are they not investigating or deleting? Mm-hmm. Let's say the person had a long track record, a history of you know crimes or something, yeah. and they decide, oh, we're not going to we're not going to publish that because that might have a negative impact I, on whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't. Right, I mean, I think, it, it, to me, to me, there is. You know, again, if you are, we're not even talking about after somebody has been caught. We are talking about two people who the police are actively looking for. They are asking for the public's assistance. News outlets, um, TV stations, they're reporting what I think is one of the key elements, the, the race. And again, I acknowledge that in the Internet story, they did reproduce the photograph of the woman. That So you could argue, well, it, maybe it was superfluous to put in that you know her, what her race was because we had the picture. But, again, they consciously deleted that reference from the police report. But as for the guy, there's no picture of him. They put the description, but they intentionally deleted the race. Really? 414-799-1620. Bill in Brookfield. Bill, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Um, I, I have seen stories uh, similar to this, but the assailants or the people they were looking for were Caucasian, and they did put that they were either white or Caucasian. So the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel does not have a problem uh, putting the description as long as they're not uh, black or African American. Um, well, so yeah, I mean, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, I think I mean, I don't know, but I, I mean, I and I would hope so. Look, if the if the Greenfield cops were looking for you know a, a two twenty something year old, a white man and a white woman who had done exactly the same thing, I, I would hope that they would put in the race. What could be more relevant? And again, I, what's so stunning to me, and it's one of the reasons I went back and looked at the Greenfield press release, is the Greenfield police press release clearly indicates the race of the suspects. Somebody at the local newspaper writing the story made the conscious decision while putting in the rest of the description to take out the description of their race. Now, again, when this has happened in the past, they always say, oh, no, we, we don't we don't delete these things. No, no, we, we don't sanitize in that way. Well, all right. <laughs> it's pretty clear in this case that is precisely what they ended up doing. Let's talk to Ron in Nakusa. Ron, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, you know, Jeff, I grew up in New York in the 60s, and at that time we had a lot of faith in the credibility of, of newspapers like the New York Times, and their motto was all the news that's fit to print. And I think over the years, 
people have seen that the mainstream media, especially big city newspapers, have an agenda. And I think the Sentinel should change their motto to all the news that we see fit to print. Right, or all the and, news that's politically correct. Right, know? and I think that's, you know, if, there was, if the Milwaukee Journal is wondering why their circulation is down so much, why people rely on talk radio and uh, the Internet instead, right. it's a perfect example. Well, it, 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 I mean, I was just, I mean, thanks for, I, I was just, I mean, I was, when I first saw this story, I mean, the, the, Beat, the brutal beating of, of the woman really attracted my attention. Again, it's another one of these stories about the mean streets of Milwaukee, and my guess is when they catch the people involved, it's going to turn out to be people with lengthy criminal records. You don't wake up just one morning and decide, here, I'm going to put on a pair of brass knuckles and beat the you-know-what out of some woman while I'm trying to steal her, her car. So my guess is... And once they catch them, you know, that's going to be the story. The other follow-up story is this is crime spreading to the suburbs. This is Greenfield. My guess is the people are from Milwaukee. But but they're also – the reality is, in this case, and I don't draw any larger conclusions from it, but the reality is the people that the Greenfield police believe committed this crime are African-American. They reported the fact that they were black in their description to the media. TV stations ran with it. Journal Sentinel made the decision to take it out of the text of their coverage. And I guess maybe that is true. It, it's it's all the news that you feel is politically correct. It's 855, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, are, are the, that's big thing number one. Big thing number two, Ed Flynn appears to be digging in his heels. Where do we go from here? And we're going to talk Foxconn as well. That's coming up. It's 856, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. Would you like to end that annoying co-worker's bad habit once and for all? Hmm. Or how about the rush hour pet peeves? Gaffiti and Billstat want to hear from you during their Ought to Be a Law segment. They take your calls at 2.07 this afternoon. That is always a fun one. All right, we're right in the middle of our three big things. It appears that Ed Flynn is prepared to tell the Fire and Police Commission to go jump in the lake when it comes to changing his pursuit policy. A matter of fact, he's saying some things which are just downright bizarre, which is the part of an ongoing pattern. I'll tell you about that. and We'll discuss where we go next. That's coming up in just a moment. Right now, it's 859. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 909. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big thing number two, has the police chief lost his mind? Now, I, it, 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 as I said earlier this week, it is it is very difficult to be the police chief in, chief in any urban environment. What happens is people come in with their ideas of policing. They try them for a while, and typically, what happens is police chiefs wear out their welcome. That that's you know they they try stuff. It doesn't work. They get on the wrong side of certain people in the community, and they end up you know leaving. That's that's typically what happens. And that appears to be what is happening to Milwaukee Police Chief Ed Flynn. Um, There's been a series of controversies, and candidly, Flynn is saying things publicly which make me wonder whether he's at least professionally losing his mind. I mean, a couple weeks ago, he's at one of these community meetings, and, and he goes off on the state's concealed carry law, talking about how, well, he believes that violent crime in Milwaukee is worse, much worse because of concealed carry, and he's got some convoluted theory about how, you know, people are, you know, criminals are using 
people who don't have criminal records to get guns and then lending them the guns or walk out. I mean, it's it, it made absolutely no sense. There's no statistical background for it. When Flynn was challenged by the head of the fire and poli- by the head of the police union, saying, "Where is this coming from?" He said, "Well, you, I, I, I you know, you, you know, I can't release that information." Well, he, it's just, it's kind of like he he made it up. Well, a couple of years ago, back actually in 2010. Ed Flynn changed the Milwaukee Police Department pursuit policy. And and essentially the way it works now is when people run from the cops, the police are not allowed to chase them unless they have reason to believe that the person in the car has been involved in the commission of a violent crime. Hey, it's a bank robber fleeing from us. We can chase him. Hey, it's a car that was taken in a carjacking. We can chase him. But otherwise, you have to let them go. Now, Flynn's thinking was, well, back in 2010, we had a couple chases and uh, three or four people you know, were injured or killed in the chases. And so we made the decision as a policy matter, we're going to let the bad guys get away. That's essentially the policy. That policy, if it had any validity at all in 2010, I don't think makes any sense in 2017 because the bad guys know it. What happens is this city is plagued. The city of Milwaukee is plagued by reckless drivers, um, carjackers, car thieves. And by the way, car theft is not a crime that allows the chase under the current policy. If it's just simple car theft, you've got to watch the person drive off. And so the word has gotten out in certain segments of the community, if you try to if you're pulled over, just drive away and the cops won't follow you. It is a huge frustration for rank and file police officers, and it is a matter of public safety. What were the numbers? Like over a thousand people in the first quarter of this year just fled from the police. People just drive like idiots. People commit crimes and they drive away. You could drive past a Milwaukee cop at 95 miles an hour. You can make an obscene gesture at him. And under Ed Flynn's policy, unless they have reason to believe that you have committed a crime of violence, you just have to drive, let them drive off. And of course, we know know what ends up happening those people go on to commit other crimes steal other cars do whatever in addition you know they're driving 95 miles an hour down capitol drive or fond du lac avenue or whatever you know how that is going to end up they're driving in a reckless fashion not just because they're afraid they're going to be chased but because hey this is fun this is what we're going to do and they end up killing themselves or other people it has turned out to be whatever the intentions were it is a disastrous policy the Fire and Police Commission, has, which is Flynn's boss, has been studying this for months. They have been hearing from citizens. They have been hearing from aldermen who have been hearing from members of their community who just think that this is an absolute crazy policy. In addition to that... In addition to that, the way drug dealers operate has changed over the years. Back back in the day, when I was a prosecutor and chasing drug dealers, there used to be the typical way it would do business is there was a stationary drug house. Hondo would be selling dope all out of his house, and what would happen is people would go to the house to get the drugs. So you could monitor the drug house, you could watch the traffic, you could bust it. That is not how drug dealers operate in general. Now, there still are drug houses, but there's rolling mobile drug houses. What happens now, in many, many cases, is because of the advent of cell phones, you've got a drug dealer. You've got the drug dealer's cell phone. The drug dealer, rather than having his or her drugs in a house, keeps them with them in his car. 
tinted windows so you can't see in driving around. If you want to score, you call the drug dealer up on the phone. Hey, uh, this is so-and-so. I'm looking for this. And rather than going over to a drug house, the drug dealer says, I'll meet you at the corner of 6th and, and whatever. And they meet. They do the deal in the parking lot. It's these rolling drug houses. These rolling drug houses also are the same sort of things. The, you know, the cops see something suspicious. They try to make the bust. The car drives off. They flee, and they are not allowed to chase under the Ed Flynn policy. And the drug dealers all know that the cops won't chase. You just have to watch the people go off into the sunset, disappear, to continue to plague the community and commit other crimes. It's a policy that doesn't work. Everybody but Ed Flynn knows it doesn't work. So the Fire and Police Commission has said, you know, this has to be changed. And, and they, know, they know that Flynn is stubborn and refuses. They said, look, here's, gonna, here's the deal. It needs to be modified. We want to give authorities, the police, the authority to chase whenever they see people driving in reckless fashions that are endangering safety. So you see the car driving at 90 miles an hour going through the red light. Yes, you can pursue them. They also want to allow the police to chase targets of high opportunity. You know, for example, cars that they have identified as being part of the rolling drug houses, the drug trade. Yeah, you see those cars, you could go after them when they run. Also, if cars have run from the police on multiple occasions, you can chase those cars, getting these people off the street. It is a common sense thing. But because Ed Flynn, because of his gut, doesn't believe that this is appropriate, he is apparently refusing to do this. And he was making the rounds of the TV stations yesterday saying some really bizarre things. He says that chasing, in his opinion, might lead to racial profiling. Huh? I mean, okay, it's it's like, okay, the, the car takes off at a high rate of speed and you chase it. Um, my guess is the police will be chasing people that are fleeing from them, regardless of whether they're white, black, or brown. The idea is giving the people the ability to chase. So he's talking about, hey, th- this would be disastrous public policy, and it's. Um, he said in one of his TV interviews that he views it as, you know, his his job to um, advise the fire and police commission um, as to what you know what when they're about to make bad policy. Well, no. It's the Fire and Police Commission's right to tell the police chief what to do. So it appears that Flynn is digging in his heels, ready to say that he's not about to make changes. I am told that the mayor has been trying to broker a couple meetings but uh, to try to get a modified policy. But at least I'm told so far that that's not going very far because you can't tell Ed Flynn anything. So Flynn now has hired a lawyer. I think in anticipation of the fact that he intends to refuse this directive from the Fire and Police Commission and then decide to dare them to take some sort of job action against him. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As I've said, I mean, I think Ed Flynn is kind of, I think it's time for him to go. I think he's just sort of burned out. If you look at him, he looks just exhausted. I think he's kind of burned out. I think he's out of ideas. But, 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 but. If the battle is over this pursuit policy, and the question is, is Flynn right or is the Fire and Police Commission right? I don't think this is even close. There's no question in my mind that the Fire and Police Commission, I don't say this very often, is absolutely right. Flynn touts his police policy, this pursuit policy, as a national model. Well, all right, that's crazy. 
because if the national model is to allow bad guys to drive away recklessly and commit further crimes, it's just absolutely crazy. The pursuit policy needs to change, and if Flynn refuses to change, well, then they should fire him. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This entire dispute goes away if Flynn simply does as directed by his bosses, the Fire and Police Commission. And in this particular case, I think what the bosses are telling him to do makes eminent sense. All right. Do you want to see the pursuit policy change? And if Flynn refuses to change it, do they take a job action? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think this one is even close. And um, I, I just just like when I listen to Flynn talk about, well, gun violence in Milwaukee is being fueled by concealed carry permit holders, which is just bizarrely out of touch with reality this idea that oh the pursuit policy is a national model and and it's going to lead to racial profiling because you know we're going to chase drug dealers who are fleeing from us and they might turn out to be disproportionately african-american or whatever so what if you're a drug dealer and you're running from the cops i want you chased and caught 414-799-1620 brian in milwaukee brian you're first good morning how you doing Jeff? hi brian taking my call yes sir um yeah i I used to rent a house in Wales, and the difference between Wales, I bought a house in Milwaukee because it was cheaper for me. The difference in the way people drive is crazy. In Wales, um, Wisconsin, nobody would even dare doing something like this. So the policies in Ed Flynn <laughs> proposing is crazy because I'm seeing it. I live really close to Fundalik, and they drive crazy. I've seen people, you're not going to believe this, these young teenagers, um, they were driving, racing each other, and there was two kids on top of the car holding on and the police did nothing yeah i mean it's it's crazy i can't we're like living in a uh mad max world well, in milwaukee well it is i mean thanks for call so I, somebody on the text line says you mean the police don't write tickets for running red lights no the police write tickets for running red lights but the police won't chase you if you flee Unless they believe that you have committed a violent crime. Yeah. I mean, yes, if you run a red light, the police put on the bubble lights and you pull over, like most law-abiding citizens would. You've made a mistake, you're caught for speeding, you pull over. Right. Yes, you will get a ticket. They still write tickets. But if you flee, unless there is, you meet one of these very, very narrow criteria, they are not going to chase you. And that is where the problem is. Yeah, most people are going to pull over. I have always made this argument that there, there is a reason why people run. And most of the time, I mean, here's just the reality of this. Most of the time, the cops don't know why somebody is running. You know, you see the car with the tail light out or it's made the illegal turn or whatever. You put on the bubble lights to pull them over. They take off. You don't know why it is that they are running. You don't know if the car is stolen. You don't know if there's a kidnapped victim in the back of the backseat of the car. You don't know if they're driving around with a quarter pound of cocaine in it. You don't know if they've got all sorts of illegal guns. You don't know. All you know is that they run, ran from you. And in Milwaukee, the policy is you just have to wave goodbye to them. That's absolutely crazy. And again, the police chief has the ability to make this issue go away by simply saying, okay, fine, you think this is the way to go? We'll implement this policy. But Ed Flynn, uh-uh, it's, he's got his back up on this. He's decided that I know better than everybody else, and even though what I am doing isn't working, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and do it. And he's daring the Fire and Police Commission, apparently, to take action against him. Well, if that's the case, 
They should. Um, Andrew and Greenfield texts. In any other job, when your boss tells you to do something you, you and you give them the finger, I wonder what would happen. Right or wrong, when your boss tells you to do something, you do it or you just quit. Well, the word is that Ed Flynn is looking for another job somewhere. I mean, he's 68 years old. Okay, fine. And again, I urban police chiefs end up wearing out their, their welcome. And I, I think... Clearly, that's the state that we're in now. But my bigger concern is with the safety of all of us who end up driving through the city of Milwaukee right now who are held hostage to that element, the thugs, the people who run, who commit crimes, for whom the police are handcuffed as far as being able to get off the street. 922, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 925, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. He's got a passion for the game. That's what legendary Brewers voice Bob Euchre says about his longtime friend, soon-to-be Hall of Famer Bud Selig. You can read about it and hear Euchre's entire chat with Greg Matzik online at WTMJ.com. Yes, our text line exploded on this. Uh, Let's see. Jim writes, the chase policy is ridiculous. Don't you think Mayor Barrett's influence has a bearing on Chief Flynn's no-chase policy? If I were to guess, Flynn is beholden to Barrett from his prior discretion, and Barrett doesn't support a change. Regardless, it's time for a change. Yeah, well, I mean, if Barrett doesn't support a change, um, that's a significant issue a- as well. I mean, I don't, I don't know that Barrett wants to call out Ed Flynn after Ed Flynn has been such a loyal soldier to him over the years. But the truth is, the policy, however well intended, doesn't work in 2017, and only an idiot would continue to do something that doesn't work. And then you tout it as a national model. What do you mean a national model? You've got thousands of people just running, making up, just figuratively speaking, laughing in the face of police as they drive off and commit other crimes. That's your idea of a national model. Um, Penny writes, you've hit it, Jeff. Flynn is burned out and exhausted, and his stubbornness is taking over. It's like Captain Quig. You know, that's the uh, Kane Mutiny, the Humphrey Bogart with the marbles going, It's it was the strawberries, you know, it was the strawberries of that um yeah i mean and look and i am not by the way arguing and nobody is including the fire and police commission that you chase every time somebody runs from you or that you chase every suspected drug car that takes off you obviously and always want to balance what's going on I mean, what what are we dealing with here? Do you want to have a high-speed chase down Wisconsin Avenue at 2 o'clock in the afternoon where you put substantial risk? No, you, you, you don't. But at the same time, just because you give officers discretion or their supervisors discretion, and that's what happens in most of the suburbs, you get to chase. And then, you know, you make a decision whether or not it's too dangerous for the officers or for other people. And then sometimes you break away the chases. But you at least don't send out this message saying you can make obscene gestures at us, figuratively speaking, commit any sort of crimes you want, drive around in stolen cars, and we're not going to be able to pull you over. The policy is simply nuts. And if Ed Flynn decides that this is the hill he, figuratively speaking, wants to die on, and he wants to dare the Fire and Police Commission to take job action against him, I don't care whether he's lawyered up or not. He has to go, period. He avoids this whole thing by simply saying, yes, I'll change the directive. And if he can't or refuses to do it, that tells you more about him than it says about the Fire and Police Commission. Racial profiling my butt. It's 928. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. When we come up back, big thing number three, people are already throwing cold water on the fire that is Foxconn. Stick around. It's 928.
It's 935, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Governor Walker is raising millions of dollars for his upcoming campaign. One of his opponents says he will self-fund his own effort on CEDEM. Has money become too important in politics? John McCure explores at 320 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Be sure to check that out. Um, one final thought on the police policy change. Journal Sentinel is reporting that... Um, all members of the Milwaukee Common Council, with the exception of three, Malaley Coggs, Ashanti Hamilton, and Terry Witkowski, hmm, have sent a letter to um, to the fire and a letter to the mayor, urging him not to overrule an order to change the police department's chase policy. This is, in our view, an overdue directive issued under clear statutory authority, and to override it would be bad as both policy and perception. See, the way the state works is the chief, he works for the Fire and Police Commission, and he, when he gets a directive like this, has to do what his bosses tell him to do. Jeff? You know, we want you to be out at um, 8.59. You play a one-minute commercial before the news. Okay? If I don't do it, you know, it's just there's going to be consequences for that. Under state law, the chief must implement the directive unless it is overruled in writing by the mayor. Um, Barrett's been kind of like wishy-washy about this. Um the, the chief apparently does not intend to comply. He's asked for a 30-day extension to to review this, um, but he wants a collaborative conversation on this topic. Fire and Police Commission says, hey, you know, we, we've been trying to work with him for a long time. He's made it clear that he thinks he's right, that nobody else knows better, so you know, we've implemented this. I hope the Fire and Police Commission doesn't back down. And it, I mean, Ed Flynn is the guy that, you know, is the one who can determine whether his card key continues to work moving forward. All he has to do is do what his bosses tell him to do, a decision that I think is certainly in the public interest, a decision that majority of members of the Common Council agree makes sense, and I think the average citizen thinks it makes sense too, but Ed Flynn thinks he's smarter than everybody else, and... um, he might just smart himself out of a job, and that, but the choice is his. All right, big story number three. Foxconn appears to be becoming a reality. An announcement at 4 o'clock this afternoon uh, coming out of Washington. President Trump is going to make a, a jobs announcement. The speculation is that Foxconn, which is this uh, Taiwanese-Chinese manufacturer they make uh, flat screen panels that go into iPhones and TVs and things like that um, an enormous number of workers worldwide they, they don't really have a presence in the United States what they're going to be announcing is a manufacturing plant presumably it's going to be in Wisconsin um, they haven't announced the definitive site but everybody's speculating it's going to be in Mount Pleasant right along the, the freeway there this is going to generate some issues with regard to how they're going to get the land because there's some people that live in that area that aren't going to want to sell or going to want to get top dollar for it but that's a detail to be worked out the estimates are that this will directly over the next few years as it gears up bring well somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,000 jobs to that area these are these are tech jobs these are assembly jobs now um that we don't know they're not going to be minimum wage jobs but we we don't know exactly you know how much these jobs are going to pay but they are going to be jobs for an area 
Um, in addition, I think there's going to be a lot of, well, ancillary effects. By that, I mean, presumably, you know, if Foxconn is making these screens and things like that, you're going to have other businesses, the people that, for example, you know, manufacture the component parts that they use to do these assemblies. They're going to be locating in the immediate area. In addition, you know, this is going to be just a godsend for places that train technical workers. Um, I think WCTI is already gearing up for, hey, th- there's going to be jobs here. So, I mean, this could be a game changer for Wisconsin in general and southeastern Wisconsin in particular. It's not going to come cheaply, though. Um, Foxconn, as with many of these large companies, particularly the large foreign companies, when making a decision to locate in the United States, they, they, they expect breaks. They expect various types of tax breaks, infrastructure improvements, things like that. And, you know, other companies that have located in other states, you know, have, have um, candidly, candidly, you know, demanded a, a pretty rich price for bringing all these jobs to the area. There are estimates that over the next 20 years, over the next 20 years, the various breaks that Foxconn might develop or might demand would be somewhere between like one to three billion dollars, you know, in and and that's, you know, direct and indirect types of things. But clearly it, it is going to be costly. And Foxconn knows that they're the ones they've got the keys and they have all sorts of choices as to where they go. But apparently they have chosen you know, Wisconsin, that's what we anticipate the announcement's going to be. Um, today's TMJ4, here's the way the report is on the Internet. Skepticism <clears throat> surrounds Foxconn as announcement appears um, imminent. Um, they quote this guy who's a professor of economics at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. We don't know what the benefits package is or the incentive packages because they're uh, holding cards very close to their face. Uh, the guy says companies like Foxconn typically ask for tax breaks. He's worried the governor could agree to too much. The governor is a bit between a rock and a hard place because he made the promise of 250,000 jobs. But at the same time, if the benefits package is too aggressive, too generous, he might be accused of essentially giving away the baby in order to get the cred. The professor further thinks Foxconn wants to tap into the Chicago market while Wisconsin takes on the cost of incentives. The downside is that a lot of workers and a lot of suppliers may be coming out of the Illinois market. Well, I mean, clearly it's going to be a benefit for the region. But but my big point is if, if they have this announcement today and the headlines tomorrow on all the news broadcasts on TV and radio and the print media is that Foxconn chooses Detroit instead of Wisconsin. Are we going to feel good about that? I mean, this to me has the potential to be a game changer. And I am sure that there's lots of incentives that they're going to have to offer. But the idea that you could potentially turn southeastern Wisconsin into a technology hub with an employer that's going to bring 10,000 jobs over the next several years, I think you got to take it. You just do. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't want to be that wet blanket. I don't want to be that guy who says, oh, this is too much corporate welfare. We're not talking about a handful of jobs. We're not talking about, you know, tax. Look, I was in favor of the Bucks Arena, but the truth of the matter is, if you look at a lot of studies, there's real questions about whether these new arenas have any real net economic impact to a community. 
But I thought it was a good investment anyhow. Well, I'm telling you, there's no doubt about it. You know, if you have an employer that's going to bring 10,000 jobs, that's a heck of a benefit to the community. I say go Foxconn. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And for people who might be wet blankets on this, do you really want to wake up tomorrow and hear that they're building the plan in Detroit? I don't. What do you think? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 943. This is Jeff Wagner. 620 WTMJ. This is big thing number three. It's 947. Jeff Wagner. 620 WTMJ. It is interesting that some of the people who were advocating for an enormous outlay of public money to build a new downtown arena for the Bucks, and, and I was at the end of the day, I was in favor of that. Um, are, are some of the same ones that are going, well, I don't know if we should spend money to help Foxconn come here. Look, here, here's, I mean, I, I think, I mean, I don't know whether there's going to be any spillover effect from a new arena or not. But I guarantee you that the new Bucks arena is going to be nice. It's going to be great. But it's not going to create 10,000 new jobs. Plus, that's just with the company itself. So if you can spend a couple hundred million to build a new arena, I mean, seriously? All right. So it costs you a billion dollars over 15 years to bring 10,000 jobs at this company alone. I mean, this this is too good an opportunity to pass up. And I'm hearing this, well, okay, maybe the jobs are only going to pay 12 or $15 an hour. Who cares? They're, they're jobs. They're jobs. They'll pay what the market bears. Eric in Oak Creek. Eric, you're on 620 WTMJ. Uh, good morning. Hi, Eric. Uh, I think it's a, a great opportunity for Southeast Wisconsin. I'm a real estate broker in the area. I think it's great for our housing market. Uh, I think Yes, we'll have spillover from other uh, areas, just like we will with the new IKEA going in. Right. Uh, you have Amazon, who is out peddling the streets for offering a job. There's right. signs out there. They're not literally knocking on doors, telling people we have jobs. And when's the last time that we've had that? Oh, 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 yeah. Plus, I mean, you, you, okay. Let's say you have right. You're, those are those are great things. You're talking about the IKEA. You're talking about Amazon. If you have a facility that has the potential for ten thousand jobs, it is going to be a magnet. You're going to be bringing people from um, potentially out of state, people who are looking for jobs who want to work in this sort of industry. I mean, I just really don't see the downside to it. And and this idea that well, okay, they're they're not going to be manufacturing jobs that pay forty dollars an hour. No, they're not. But they're going to be jobs for goodness sakes. Right, and decent paying jobs. We've talked a lot about what the economy does, uh, where rents are going, where housing is going, right. what people can afford, and what type of income is needed just to sustain, sustain a two-bedroom place, for example. And these are generally higher-quality jobs. And there's obviously the concern environmental to sure. corporate welfare, et cetera, but there's yeah. still a ton of upside for it, and well, especially for our area here. Well, right. And again, Eric, I go back to my same premise. If we wake up tomorrow and the headline says, Foxconn mm-hmm. building this enormous plant in Detroit, how are we going to feel? <laughs> I think most exactly. people, you know, that's it. And, you know, now I will say this. You said you're in real estate. One of the interesting yeah. second or third day stories will be um, whether mm-hmm. what happens with some of the people who own some of the land around there, will they sell? I mean, I mean, obviously, this is one where they're going to use eminent domain at some point in time. So it's, it's right. going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But that's, you know, that's, a, I think, a story for another day. Right, exactly. And, and honestly, that's what prompted my call, too, when you mentioned the Detroit, you know, how we may balk at the idea. And there's never always 100 percent positive sure. with these projects. But. What are we going to say when they do pick another uh, yeah. location? I just think it's 
a great opportunity uh, for us. We're right. uh, put no. us back on the map after so much has been lost. Uh, exactly. No, th- thanks for call. And I think, see, I guess I also believe, just like uh, let, let's take the Bucks Arena as an example. I one of the reasons I supported supported spending hundreds of millions of dollars to play to find a place where you know millionaire players can play for billionaire owners one of the reasons is, is i i do believe that there's going to be some spillover that there's going to be development um that it's going to be an attraction for the city beyond the, the arena i i believe the same thing is going to be true with foxconn because I, I think what you're going to see is you're going to see suppliers component parts makers and stuff locate in the area so they can be close to Foxconn to provide them with the materials that they use. Now, does that mean all the construction and everything is going to be in Wisconsin as opposed to some being in Illinois? Not necessarily. But at the same time, Illinois is a flat-out mess right now, just a flat-out mess. But I do, I mean, I acknowledge that some of this stuff, you know, might go there. But at the same time, this is just, it's a golden opportunity. The story is kind of interesting is, that's going around as to how this happened. When uh, President Trump was here in uh, a couple months ago, um, was down in Kenosha visiting Snap-on Tools. Apparently they were in a helicopter, you know, and he was looking at all, it was with Reince Priebus, and they were looking at all this different land. And, you know, they started talking about how that would be great great spots for industry and it should be used and then the foxconn people apparently came to the president and they were discussing this and he remembered that so um and then governor walker has been involved and the word is that governor walker has been as he frequently does moving heaven and earth um and i understand there's walker detractors out there and there will be people that spin this in a negative fashion but at the same time man i mean ten thousand jobs is a lot to uh that's that's nothing to sneeze at steve and fond du Lac. steve you're on 620 wtmj good morning Hey, good morning, Jeff. Uh, our company makes battery packs, and we do. We know Foxconn. Right. Uh, my uh, sales manager's been over there. You know, they've got these huge complexes. Uh, people live in dormitories. Yep. They've got a soccer field and ping pong tables, and uh, the average wage there is like two bucks an hour. Now you, I realize. Yeah, but you're you're talking about their plant in China, right, or the plant in yeah, India? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah, China. And but my my question is. Uh, you know, I realize they're going to save on freight and import duties and stuff like that. But uh, wow, I can't see them paying much more than ten bucks an hour compared to what they're doing now. And are we going to get workers to do that? That's well, the question. Well, that I mean, that I guess that is the. I mean, thanks for the call, Steve. I mean, here's here's the reality. You're going to. They're going to have Foxconn will have to pay what the market bears to get workers who are willing to do this. But I, I think in some respects. It's unfair, and I, I've, I mean, I, I've heard that. I mean, I know people say, oh, well, if you look at Foxconn, it, it's it's in China, and they, they pay, like, these low wages and stuff. But that's what they do in China, and that's what they do in India. And this is, this is the United States, so it's going to be different. Now, I think one of the big reasons that they are coming here and looking at the United States is because, again, they're concerned with these trade wars and the tariff stuff and things like that, and they want to have a U.S. presence to avoid a lot of those those different problems. And and I get all that. I don't know what the wages are ultimately going to settle on. I don't think these are going to be minimum wage jobs, but at the same time, I freely acknowledge they're probably also not going to be $40 an hour jobs, but they're, 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 going, they're going to be jobs, and they're obviously going to be market wage jobs. And you know, I think Foxconn is going to have to adapt to business in the U.S., so it's not going to be company stores and things like that. I have a real interesting email from one of our listeners, Steve. Um, Jeff, 
While everyone is celebrating the Foxconn win, let's all remember a few important things. Without Trump and his America First trade push, this doesn't happen. I think he's right. Without right to work, Wisconsin is not even a consideration. I agree with that. Without Act 10 or the Manufacturing and Ag Tax Credit, we don't have the fiscal stability or the available tax incentives to successfully compete for Foxconn. I agree. Without WEDC and M7 Wisconsin and the region, do not have skilled front doors to negotiate a deal the size of this. And ironically, for many on the left, many of whom will be lining up for photos in the next couple of days to celebrate this win, fought and are still fighting every single one of these things tooth and nail. This is a huge win for all of Wisconsin. However, it is intellectually dishonest not to bluntly recognize that it is a direct result of Donald Trump, Scott Walker, and the GOP legislature in Wisconsin winning and having the vision and guts to wade through the fever swamps of the vitriol, obstruction, and derangement to actually make Wisconsin open for business. Um, Who we elect makes a difference. That's today's biggest takeaway from the Foxconn deal. That's Steve. And you know what? I think he's absolutely right. It's 956, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And, and by the way, I think some of the questions that that people are asking about the, the Foxconn process are, are fair. Where is it going to go? What's the cost going to be? What are these jobs going to be like? What are the overall plans? I, I think they're they're fair. But in general... I think this is one where you, you, you just got to go for it. You, you got to go for it. I think it is a game changer for the state, potentially. Now, after the announcement this afternoon, um, I think a lot of the questions are going to be answered. For tomorrow's program, I, we will be maybe reaching out for some of the people who were involved in this decision to see if we can get them to come on and talk about it, because I think this is incredible news for the state of Wisconsin. We're obviously going to be following it here on WTMJ all day, where our plan is, of course, to carry the the announcement from the White House at 4 o'clock our time this afternoon. Um, And again, we'll be following this over the course of the next couple days. This is It's Big News. Coming up, President Trump says transgender people will not be allowed in the military. His reasoning is interesting. We will discuss. It's 959. 10.09, Jeff Wagner, so glad to have you with us again. We will continue to keep you updated all day and certainly tomorrow once the details of this Foxconn announcement emerge. So keep it tuned to 620 WTMJ. I continue to think it is a game changer. All right. Uh, Breaking news this morning. Um, President Trump... Again, taking to Twitter to announce a change in the U.S. Army military, the U.S. military policy regarding transgender members of the military. Now, just just to give you an idea of what we're talking about here, they estimate right now that there's about 1.3 million active duty members of the military. So 1.3 million active duty members. Of that 1.3 million, the estimate is that approximately 2,500 are transgender. Um, that's It's an estimate, though. I guess it, it's varied a little bit. But you're talking about 1.3 million, so that's the sea. 2,500, that's a couple grains of sand in, in the sea. So it's a small number of people, one way or the other. Here's the way uh, the New York Times is reporting this. President Trump announced on Wednesday that the U.S. will not accept or allow 
transgender people in the United States military, saying American forces must be focused on decisive and overwhelming victory and could not afford to accommodate um, them. He said that he had come to his decision after talking to generals and military experts whom he did not name. This is what he wrote. After consultation with my generals and military experts, please be advised that the United States government will not accept or allow transgender individuals to serve in any capacity in the U.S. military. Our military must be focused on decisive and overwhelming victory and cannot be burdened with the tremendous medical costs and disruption that transgender in the military would entail. Uh, this this is the way the New York Times reports it. The sweeping policy decision reverses the gradual transformation of the military under President Barack Obama, whose administration announced last year that transgender people could serve openly in the military. Um, and, of course, we know that they also opened all combat roles to women. Um, it is not clear what prompted Mr. Trump's announcement on Wednesday in June. The administration delayed a decision on whether to allow transgender recruits to join the military. Um, at the time, the defense secretary said an extra six months would give military leaders a chance to review the potential impact. The president's announcement came amid a debate on Capitol Hill over the Obama-era practice of requiring the Pentagon to pay for medical treatment related to gender transition. This dispute has played out as Congress is considering a nearly $700 billion spending bill to fund the Pentagon. At least some representatives have proposed an amendment that would bar the Pentagon from spending money on transition surgery or related hormone Therapy. So that, that's kind of the backdrop of this as well, because they're trying to get this big military spending bill passed. And there's at least some congressmen, well, actually more than just some, who are saying we're not going to sign off on on spending this money unless, you know, not a dime of public money goes to help soldiers transition uh, with regard to their gender. So President Trump is just simply saying we can't afford this and I, I want a decisive win. And so for that result, as a result of that, Transgender people cannot serve in the military. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have an opinion on this, but I did not serve in the military myself. And on issues like this, I always I always love to hear the opinions and the perspective of people who did serve in the military. So what do you think about this transgender ban? Like I say, it is it's a very, very small number of people. You're probably talking about less than 2,500 people out of a, of a universe of 1.3 million. Um, there are costs associated, obviously, with the Pentagon paying for gender transition. Um, are, are, transgender, are transgender people, should they be allowed to serve in the military? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And um, for you veterans out there, I would be particularly interested in hearing your thoughts on this matter. And does it make a difference whether somebody has gone through the gender transition and then wants to enlist in the military? Is that different than somebody who's already in the military who decides that they want to make the transition? What is your reaction to this story? I am very curious, and I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a minute as well. It's 1014, our number, 414-799-1620, which is the Acting Net Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to discuss next. 
It's 1017, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now, again, the way I understand this policy as announced is that this would also force out transgender soldiers currently serving. So this would not only be a a ban on, again, a ban on any new transgender people coming in, but it would be a ban on on people who transgender people who are currently serving. At least that's the way I understand it. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's see our text line. Yes, they should be allowed to serve. Um, let's see. Uh, they should be allowed to serve. Um, one serves for the benefit of the nation, not personal benefit. Mitch in Sturgeon Bay writes, I don't have an opinion about the trans ban or whether it'll pass courts tests. Um, all I know is that sometimes Trump's timing is dictated by a um, hourglass. Um, he bumbled into and broke. I don't get it. I, I do. That is interesting. I do wonder that the timing of this this announcement, it kind of came out of the clear blue because the defense secretary said a couple months ago, we want six months to study this. And, you know, given all the stuff that's going on, I do wonder why the president decided to poke this hornet's nest this morning. Um, let's see our text line. I believe that everyone should have the opportunity to defend our country. I think this could be simply handled by stating that cosmetic procedures are just not covered under government benefits. My insurance cover company does not cover cosmetic procedures and gender train change surgery is cosmetic um all right 414-799-1620 i'll tell you where i come down on this in just a minute but i'm curious as to where you come down let's start with dan in sheboygan dan you're first good morning morning jeff how are you very well thank you okay what do you think about this well uh, i served in the military i was in the Marine corps uh, for four years and um you know I, there's a lot of aspects to it that i look at and you know, my, my primary thing as far as this goes is I don't feel like the taxpayers should have to pay for something like this. Right. Um, I feel like if they're willing to forego uh, the surgery or have it done prior to or right. take care of the cost themselves, then I feel like it's fine. But um, so, I, so know, from your perspective as a as a Marine, you don't think that having somebody who's gone through this gender change procedures um, apart from the cost issue, you don't think that that would affect morale or anything like that? You wouldn't have had an issue serving with somebody who was a gal and now is a guy? Well, the Marine Corps is a little extreme in some aspects. Right. I, don't, I don't feel like I would have a problem with it, but there, you know, I could see where there would be some problems for the person um, as well in the Marine Corps. But um, at the same time, I think, you know, there's an adjustment period. I think people would get used to it, and I think it would get better as time went by. Got it. Thanks to call for it. Well, right, and that that's kind of the argument. I mean, that, that whole argument about, I mean, that, that was made to, to keep, we heard that for segregated soldiers. That was the idea. We have, you know, because people in the military, you know, white soldiers aren't going to be able to get along with black soldiers. So that was one of the arguments, and it kind of went by the wayside. You you have that argument to an extent with female soldiers now, and we, we've kind of gotten past that as well. Let's talk to Tim and Delavan. Tim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, how's it going? Good. Okay, what do you think about this? Should transgender people be allowed to serve in the military? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, for one, I don't think the taxpayer should have to pay for mm-hmm. that kind of surgery. Um, and with the, yeah, you know, I don't know. Well, what, okay, let me ask trying, you, what, what if, what if you have somebody, a, a transgender individual who's gone through the process 
before they enlist in the military? Should they? So it's it's not a question of the taxpayers paying for the the stuff. Um, you you've already made that change, and then you enlist. Would you have a problem with that? Uh, probably not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you know. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's just I don't know about that. I just okay. You know, all right, no, thank Okay, well, see, not, see to, to me, there are, and I think that's kind of a key question, because to me, there are there are two issues, and I appreciate that there's also, there's the, there is a legality. I'm trying to, th- I mean, this announcement just came out a couple hours ago, and I'm trying to work through it in my mind, saying, all right, could you legally, could you legally adopt a, a policy, a medical care policy, where you, you said that, okay, we're not going to cover gender, transformations um, and obviously that that would be challenged um, as to whether or not you're unfairly discriminating against um, the transgender community and I don't know how a court would decide that so I've been trying to puzzle that through but to me there to me there are two issues first issue is should transgender by the mere fact that you are transgender does that should that in and of itself disqualify you from being in the military and what about the However many people are serving in the active military, let's use the estimate of 2,500, should they now be drummed out? Um, they're already in. That's issue number one. And then issue number two is, all right, what about, you know, um, you know who pays for it, which I think is a fair one. 414-799-1620 is the number. Val in Milwaukee. Val, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Val. Okay, let's try um, Rich in Brown Deer. Rich, good morning. Hey, Jeff. What do you think? Well, I guess it's all, well, for one, look, if they want to be a soldier, or they already are, who are we to say otherwise? Who cares? Mm-hmm. We're lucky to have people that want to step up and enlist. Right. So you what about what about somebody who, what about the situation where somebody who enlists as a female and then wants the taxpayers or the government to pay for the gender transformation um, surgery or whatever while they're in the military? I can't get behind that. Right. I mean, we've got enough problems in this country. That that that's. I don't want to call it elective, but right. I, I can't get behind something like that. But right. just based on them being transgendered or people who are already in the service that are that, you're going to boot them. That that's nonsense. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. You know what? Um, I agree. I agree with that. I think again. There, I think there are two issues. I don't, and I'm, I know I'm going to get some emails on this. I I don't have a pro. I don't think the fact that you are transgender, in and of itself, should disqualify you from serving in the military. I, I just, I, I guess, I, I don't. And as for the people who are transgender who are currently serving in the military. I mean, the idea of, of running them out or drumming them out makes no sense to me. Now, that's number one. Number two, I do think that there is a legitimate issue as to whether or not somebody who enlists in the military and then wants to go through, um, you know, what, whatever the, the, expects the taxpayers via, you know, the, the Pentagon to pay for whatever is going on with the transformation stuff, whether it's hormone therapy or surgery or, or whatever. I think that's a separate issue. And, and yes, and again, I, I'm trying to puzzle through in my mind whether I think it's legal or not. You know, there'd be court challenges. But yeah, I mean, I would support a policy saying, you know, we're 
we being the taxpayers, we being the military, are not going to fund and we're not going to pay for whatever is involved in the particular gender transformation if you're in the military. But if you've had it beforehand or, you know, um, I, I, I don't have a problem with that or somebody who, you know, ultimately wants it and, you know, wants to serve in the military and then, you know, go through it afterwards. I, I don't have a problem with that either. But I guess there, it doesn't, there's nothing about somebody who is transgender that in and of itself strikes me as being disqualifying. Now, I appreciate, again, the cost issue, and I think you could, and I, I think you could work that out by, again, the policy of what's going to be covered and what's not, again, fully appreciating that you're going to get lawsuits about this. To go and do the full ban, I would be interesting in, interested in hearing the, the generals and the advisors that President Trump talked to that, that caused him to come to this conclusion because um, the former – one of the former Congre- one of the congressmen that worked in the Obama administration with the Obama administration in their transition said, hey, we, we, when we dealt with this uh, transgender issue, and when we talked to military commanders, nobody came up and said that they just thought per se they shouldn't be allowed to serve. So I guess as I think through this, two issues. Should you be automatically excluded because of this? No, I don't think so. Should the taxpayers pay for it when you're in the military? Um, I think that's a that's a different consideration. If it were me, I would have said, "All right, this is how we're going to adopt this. We're not paying for it, but um, the idea is, uh, you know, we, we don't pay for it." Um, Jerry and Racine, I would imagine there are some transgender people who've joined the military knowing they could possibly have the surgery or the therapy or whatever paid by the taxpayers. I have no issue with them serving, but no way we pay for it. Yeah, that's um, that's kind of how. I come down on this. Um, Mitch writes, they are separate. We had no business paying for Bradley Manning's transformation. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's that's where I kind of look at this whole thing, drawing the line. You can serve, but it's 1027. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 10.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. When a six-year-old Milwaukee boy is murdered, it um, impacts kids throughout the area. It can impact kids throughout the area. How can you best help your child with cope, with cope with trauma and tragic stories such as this? John McCure shares some answers at 434 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Let me get on my soapbox for just a minute. As of, as of the last time I checked... They still have not made arrests in that case. Now, I mean, uh, the last time I checked, um, the authorities were saying they had leads and they were still asking for input. I bring this up only because there are people in this community who know who shot that six-year-old boy. People talk, people see things, people know who did it. Um, The shooting was, what, Saturday? It is now Wednesday. And this is, by the way, not a criticism of the Milwaukee Police Department or the DA's office, but this is one of those situations where um, these people should be off the street. So when you talk about trying to get crime in a community under control, it really, it it does start with the people in the community. And you would have thought that, oh, within three or four hours after the shooting, 
I mean, somebody who knows who did it would have come forward and given them enough evidence to issue charges. And I understand that they're working on this and things like that. And again, it's not a criticism of DA's office or the cops, but um, this this whole and I'm not saying no snitching is playing a role here, but this whole we're not going to cooperate with the cops and no snitching and things. That this type of thing, you know, unless you get the bad guys off the street, unless you're willing to come forward, you you get you you're, you're stuck with living in communities where six-year-old kids get shot um, by being outside uh, by stray bullets. It's just incredibly frustrating. All right. I I understand whenever I go down the the route of, of talking about President Trump, I nobody's happy with my opinions because I, I try to take what I think is a balanced position on this. I am not part of the Donald Trump can do nothing, nothing right, let's hate Trump. I'm not. But at the same time, I'm also not part of the, oh, my gosh, this guy is the greatest thing since canned beer. I, I'm not. I think I agree with a lot of the policies. And my position is when, when he does stuff right, I will say it. And when he does stuff that I think is wrong or bizarre or ill-placed or ill-considered, I will say that as well and kind of let the chips fall where they may. I do not, for the life of me, understand why he continues to rip on U.S. Senate, former U.S. Senator, now Attorney General Jeff Sessions. And interestingly enough, um, last night, last night was one of these nights before the ball game. I, I had, I, I, I was, I had Fox News on, and I, I, I don't watch a lot of the cable news shows at night, but I was, and they had one conservative commentator after another coming on and very, very critical of. President Trump, which you don't see on Fox News. I mean, Britt Hume, I mean, he sends out a tweet saying that this is the pre- this whole Jeff Sessions thing is the president of the United States and is very worst. And, and that was the general theme of what you had. Let, let's review the bidding if you haven't followed this. Um, I had an opportunity. I knew I met Jeff Sessions a couple times back in the 80s when he was the United States attorney out of Alabama. I think Alabama has two districts. He was the U.S. attorney there. Um, he comes from a very prominent family in Alabama. He went on to serve in the U.S. Senate for 20-plus years. So he's very well-liked in the U.S. Senate, particularly among his Republican colleagues. He um, was one of Donald Trump's earliest supporters. I mean, this is this is before anybody thought that Trump had a chance to win. Jeff Sessions was one of the guys who was out there acting as a Trump surrogate, arguing why Trump would make a great president, all those different types of things. He was very, very active in the Trump campaign. Trump tabs him to be the attorney general of the United States. And in the four, five, six months that he has been the attorney general, he has, I think, admirably advanced the Trump agenda through the Department of, of Justice. I mean, he's lit, He's pushed on the issue of sanctuary cities. He's um, been involved in litigating uh, successfully, in many respects, some of the more controversial executive orders that Donald Trump has come down with. He's rolled back, um, he's worked with rolling back a, a lot of the more egregious, I think, Obama oversteps during the Loretta Lynch and, and Eric Holder years. And, and so, I mean, he's been pretty much a loyal soldier. There's no question about it. Um, what has apparently upset the president is that in March, he announced, because he was involved in the campaign, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't just a friend of Donald Trump. He was a campaign advisor. He was somebody who was involved in the campaign. He recused himself and he's the attorney general, 
from any investigation into whether or not there was collusion between the Trump campaign and, and Russia. And I think th- this was it was a, the appropriate decision to make because he was part of the campaign. So theoretically, he would be investigating himself. He said, no, we're, we're not going to do that. That then decision led to the appointment of Robert Mueller, who's the special counsel, who's now poking around in this. And it clearly it infuriates Trump that this stuff is going on. So Trump has, for the last week or so, just taken to ripping Jeff Sessions publicly pretty much every chance he, he gets. Um, yesterday, you know, he does an interview with both television reporters and with the Wall Street Journal where he um, talks about the attorney general as as being, you know, very, very weak. Um, he said, you know, the decision about, you know, to recuse himself was very, very weak. Um, they ask him, um, do, you, do you want Mr. Sessions out? He says, we'll see what happens. Time will tell. But he's been, you know, consistently cutting the legs out under from under Jeff Sessions for the better part of of the week. And you, you kind of wonder, you know, what is going on here? Jeff Sessions, like I say, is very well liked by the Republicans in the Senate, and nobody seems to like, at least none of the Republicans, like what Trump is doing to him. Um, the way the New York Times reports this, and I think as much as it pains me to say this, they've got a point. In the annals of cutthroat Washington politics, it would be hard to find a cabinet secretary left abandoned and humiliated in the way President Trump has left Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Now, I said two days ago, maybe I said this on Friday, if I was Jeff Sessions and I had my boss decide in the first the first round of Donald Trump Literally walking into an interview, this time with the New York Times, lifting his leg, figuratively speaking, and peeing all over the attorney general. The first time my boss did that to me, I would walk in. I mean, Jeff Sessions is 72 years old. He's probably got all the money he needs. He doesn't need the gig. The first time that happened, I would have walked into President Trump. I would have given him a letter saying, obviously, I've lost your confidence. Thanks for the opportunity. Find yourself someone else. That, that's what I would have done. Sessions appears to be trying to hang on, and Trump is letting him twist in the wind. All right, I, I, have, I have a why question. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and this is sincere. I want you to look into the mind of Donald Trump. And, and my question is, why is he doing this? But why do you think he is doing this? You have one of your most loyal supporters, a, a guy who has, you know, pretty much up and down gone to bat for you, a guy who understood what the agenda you ran on was and is doing his job to try to advance it. What is Trump trying to accomplish by doing what he is doing? I guess I have a theory, but I'm curious as to what you think. What is going on here? Because I will tell you, one of the other concerns is the Trump administration is having all sorts of trouble getting qualified people who are willing to serve. Not necessarily cabinet-level positions, but all throughout government, because this is the concern. And a lot of people, I will tell you, are looking at what Trump is doing to one of his most loyal and earliest supporters, Jeff Sessions, and going, my God, if Trump would do gratuitously throw Jeff Sessions under the bus, 
you know, what would he do to somebody else? Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look into the mind of President Trump. What do you think is going on here? This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, look into the mind of President Trump. What do you think is going on? Jeff Sessions, one of his earliest supporters, he has been... Uh, about as loyal a soldier as you can imagine, um, working in the Department of Justice as the Attorney General. And for the last week, Trump has been, figuratively speaking, peeing all over him every opportunity he gets, essentially saying that he's lost confidence in him, that he decides that um, there's been decisions that uh, the Attorney General has made, very, very weak, that he wouldn't have hired him in the first place if he knew he was going to recuse himself. What is he trying to accomplish by these attacks on Jeff Sessions. Eric in Milwaukee. Eric, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, assuming there's some logic to this, my guess would be that he wants Sessions to retire. That he, he wants, wants him to quit. to quit. But he does not want to fire him, because if he fires him, that's, that adds to the pile of arguments against him that he's obstructing justice. So he does not want to fire him, but he wants him gone so he can get somebody in there that can run some interference. But he does not want to fire him, so he wants to do everything he can to get him to So he's trying to force him out yes. um, without actually firing him. And and, yes. and, and then why you – know, I, I don't disagree with you because obviously, you you, obviously that's got to be what's going on. Why, why do you think he's trying to force him out? Well, if you take the position that – whether you take the position there's something to hide or not, um, he wants this investigation done. Right. And by having an attorney general that's recused himself, um, that person cannot take any action to either halt or alter what's going on with the investigation. Right. Um, and so that makes, basically makes oh. Sessions useless to him in terms of the Russian investigation. Yeah. Uh, that, that theory, I mean, I can't come up with a, a theory other than that. And, I mean... Just to put it in other words, man, you want to talk about for for those of us who were alive during the Saturday Night Massacre when you know President Nixon ordered the Attorney General to fire the special prosecutor. Um, that's that's sort of a version of that. The theory is that the reason reason Robert Mueller is acting as special counsel, which is the same thing as independent counsel, um, the reason he's acting is because the Attorney General had a conflict. The idea would be if Sessions is gone. You could appoint a new attorney general who would have to be confirmed by the Senate at some point in time, although you, you could probably keep him in, in a, for a while. But they, that, that, special, that new attorney general would then no longer have a conflict. They would fire the special counsel, and then Trump would be able to have more control over the direction of any investigation. Um, that, that's the line of thinking. If that is what's going through the president's mind, um, man, I want to. If you want to see your popularity go from thirty-five percent to twenty percent, that's that's how you do it. If you want to see some Republicans perhaps even get on the impeachment train, that's how you do it. But I I don't disagree with you, Eric. That might be that might be the the theory that, that's out there. I mean, but otherwise, why not just go ahead and fire him? Um, let's talk to Jack in Wauwatosa. Jack, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I, I want to preface this by saying first. I don't know the president or Mr. Sessions. And second, unlike a talking head on television, I don't know what goes on in the president's head. 
<laughs> but as I'm not retired, sure anybody does. Yeah. As a, as a retired attorney, here's what I see. Mr. Trump does not have a big plan regarding this. I think this is just the way he feels. That's just the emotion he had. I think he feels that he was let down by not having Attorney General Sessions beforehand saying that he couldn't handle the job because of this one issue. And I think it's just a, a dissatisfaction. Then why not just go ahead and fire him? Well, I mean, I mean, I, and I get all that. I mean, I, I think I think if you look at Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump likes to have have some discord among his staff, anyways. He's, he's always been a he, he likes to be an irritant. Okay, sometimes <laughs> he, he likes to be that pebble staff. in everybody's shoe, huh? Yeah, that is that is, that, and I'm not saying that's good or bad. That is just his history, and and I, I think that's what it goes down to. He he. Again, I can't get inside his brain. Right. I don't think the evidence shows that there was any collusion or any plan I, with Russia. I, I agree with you. I, I but, agree with you. And and he sees that this is something that, that should be contained in its scope and limited in its time. And, and the Attorney General was unable to fulfill that. Yeah, but of course, thanks for the call, Jack. Of course, the, the, the problem is, um, in trying to get anybody else confirmed... The first question everybody's going to ask is, would you fire Robert Mueller? And if you say yes, you're probably not going to get confirmed. Now, you can do these things with recess appointments when Congress isn't in session to keep somebody there for a while. But you see, part of it, I go back to my experience as not a retired but recovering attorney. I just it, It is completely and totally inappropriate, in my opinion, for a president to hire an attorney general with the idea that I'm going to be the one that dictates what investigations the attorney general does and doesn't do. This idea that, well, he needs to look into Hillary Clinton. I, I, you, I, you know, you got to go back to Nixon for, for that type of stuff. Here, I to publicly say I want you to investigate a rival, that's just not the way the Department of Justice is designed to work. Now, I, I do think you're, you're right that the Trump likes to stir things up, but here's why this is so counterproductive. First of all, Jeff Sessions is well-liked by the Republican, the conservative base, and by members of the Senate. Secondly, he's still out there carrying water for all sorts of controversial things, sometime either today or tomorrow. I mean, he's, he's announced the, these crackdowns on sanctuary cities, for example. You know, he's doing all sorts of controversial things, and if you... If you're twisting in the wind and you've got your boss who is openly cutting you off at the knees, how do you go about, you know, where where do you have the power to go ahead and and implement some of these sort of controversial things? I mean, I do think, and I said earlier, the other bigger point here is how do you get people to be willing to work for you if you show this incredible amount of disloyalty to, you know, the person who – is you know was one of your closest people. I understand maybe Trump is frustrated over this the the recusal thing. Although I, I do wonder whether or not that subject. It seems to me that subject would have had to come up in the vetting process. But let's assume it didn't. Okay, so you're unhappy with the attorney general. You don't like the special counsel. Fine. Isn't that something you keep behind closed doors? That's what is so bizarre to me. What you think you gain by deciding to on a daily basis. Go out and almost every opportunity you get, including in front of the darn Boy Scouts, to rip the man that's been one of your most loyal supporters. It's just, 
to me it is just bizarre. And I understand there's some people who think that President Trump can do absolutely no wrong. And I, I, I take no position on whether, you know, Jeff Sessions should continue to be the Attorney General or not. He obviously serves at the pleasure of the President. What I object to is the way he's being treated publicly by the president i think it is unseemly i don't think it helps trump it certainly doesn't help the department of justice and um it's just it's it's bizarre and i guess i I, if i had to look into his mind maybe it is part of this grand strategy we'll get rid of him i'll get one of my own i'll get my own guy in there now who's going to do what i tell him to do we'll get him there through a recess appointment and he'll fire Mueller, and then this will all go away if that's what he thinks is going to happen uh good luck and again be careful make sure you tuck your shoulder and roll when you fall off the turnip truck because you don't want you to get hurt it's ten fifty-seven. this is jeff wagner 620 wtmj jeff wagner 620 wtmj hey colleen coming up in about 35 minutes i have a very special guest nobody knows about this Ooh. nobody knows who the guest is i don't no you don't no nobody no. does hondo you do not know either nope it's my surprise. So we'll have to wait. Right, exactly. <laughs> that, is, that is the point. About 35 minutes or so. A very, very, a very, very special guest as I continue a, uh, a tradition that I've had for a long while here. But a very special guest coming up in about 35 minutes. So don't you go anywhere, Colleen Bolin or anybody else. Stick around. <laughs> You'll want to hear it. All right. Um, I, I just, I, I it's actually, Steve Scafidi uh, alerted me to this story and I started poking around into it. It's. It, it's one of these interesting things, perhaps made more interesting because it peripherally involves Packers coach Mike McCarthy. But but that's it, the fact that McCarthy is involved in this really isn't the, the essence of the story. If I can back into it, um, for years and years, one of the things that I have, have said is that, you know, if you if you buy a home, for example, you buy a home in an airport flight path. You shouldn't be able to complain that, that, gee, it's noisy with the planes if when the planes are landing. If you buy a home, you know, next to a shopping center, you shouldn't be able to complain that, gee, you know, that the streets are busy. And the fact that the shopping center, for example, has expanded. Maybe you say, well, you know, when I bought the house, you know, 10 years ago, there were only 30 shops, and now the shopping center's taken off, and there's 50, and it's busier. Well, I mean, I think it's reasonable to expect that there's going to be a growth. Um, that this this came up when you had people who live um, down in the third ward or Walker's Point or whatever who live by the, the treatment facility on Jones Island who have now started complaining that gee when the wind blows a certain way it kind of smells well yeah I, I understand that but that treatment plant has been there since 1920 so if you're going to move into that area. You know, it shouldn't necessarily come as a surprise to you that, gee, when the wind blows in a certain way, yet you're, you're going to get these odors. But it's not always that simple. Brown County is, well, really, it's a tale of two counties. You've got um, the, the urban areas like the city of Green Bay. And then you have a lot of rural areas where there, there's farms, including farms that have been there um, for, for generations. What's happening is, and, and I don't know if it's fair to call it urban sprawl or whatever, but as Green Bay has grown, you have had more and more development, um, developers building in some of these urban areas. So you have very nice housing developments that are popping up in what were previously rural areas. Um, one of those areas is the community of, of Ledgeville. 
Ledge View. Now, Ledge View is one of these areas where, I mean, uh, it, it's been rural, but now you have a lot of houses. There's developers that are coming in, and they're building, you know, nice houses. I mean, houses that range, you know, they're, they're estimating, you know, four hundred fifty to $600,000. So these are, are nice houses, close to Green Bay, um, arguably, I guess, encroaching on what was previously agricultural areas. Um, Ledgeview has been very, very successful, at least as far as increasing the tax base. Um, For example, the town of Ledgeview um, in the last decade has seen the total value of its property grow by 47% from $551 million to $809 million, thanks in part to this, this development. So they're allowing, hey, you've got people that are building these high-end homes or $400,000, $600,000 homes, and, and it's great. People are moving. They're living in the suburbs. They're generating revenue. It's all great. Well, all right, the problem, of course, comes in when you have agricultural areas that are being encroached on, and, and that's where this, this story goes. There is there's, there's a farm that apparently it's, it's called Ledgeview Farms, LLC. And it's um, a, an operating farm that has been, apparently been farmed for decades by this particular family. So this farm was there before the development took place. It, it's actually also one of the these larger farms. Um, it's apparently known as a concentrated animal feeding operation, CAFO. And under, under the rules, CAFO, CAFOs, these large animal feeding operations, must have storage for 180 days worth of animal manure from feed piles. All right, and this this particular farm that we're talking about is one of those. So what the owners of the farm are doing is they're applying for a permit to build a storage facility which um, could store up to 10 million gallons of manure. Hmm. All right. This farm is adjacent to this subdivision that has all these Tony homes in it. And the ordinance that now exists allows this giant manure storage facility to be built as close as 250 feet to a neighboring property. So you... Okay, so the owners of this in this subdivision, they've got all these nice houses, and it's, they, they say it's not that they're anti-farming, right? I mean, they, they, and they understood that they moved to this rural area, but at the same time, they're trying to imagine what it would be like if within 250 feet of their property line, suddenly this place is allowed to construct this giant storage facility for manure. Um, and they are now starting to raise these issues and try to slow the permit process. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where do you come down on this? Because on the one hand, the farm was there before the development. The developers you know, moved in. They built the houses. The people bought the houses knowing that they backed up on, on this farm. The people who bought the houses, though, obviously didn't anticipate that they would possibly be living literally next door to a, a 
storage facility with 10 million gallons of of manure because the rules now, like I say, allow this to be within 250 feet of the property line. So they, they, I don't think anybody thought about this. They knew they were moving next to a farm. They knew that there were animals. You knew that you know sometimes when the wind blows a certain way, you'd get different smells. But that's different than having a two hundred, a ten million dollar storage, ten million gallon storage facility for manure. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do these people get what they deserve? I mean, should they just have anticipated this? Or do they have a legitimate beef? If not, if not to stop the facility from going up, maybe to stop the facility from going up within 250 feet of the subdivision. What do you think? 414-799-1620? Or is this just what happens? You buy the house by the airport. You can't complain about the fl- uh, planes landing. You buy the house that abuts on the big farm. You can't complain if... They want to build this giant manure storage facility that they are apparently allowed and required to do under the law. Let's start with Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're first. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. I think that the homeowners are being treated unfairly because if, if I was going to buy a house near a farm, I would do a very thorough investigation of what the smell was going to be like. I'd be walking around smelling the air. I'd probably be talking to other people. Well, it sounds like you wouldn't buy one. You wouldn't buy a place like this in the first place next to, like, one of these large farms. Well, if I didn't smell anything, I would, yeah. if, I, if a smell wasn't bothering me. But then this, then if they've done this sort of test and if they, like, bought the house and then suddenly this manure place come, comes around, that's going to dramatically change change what they expected going in. Right. Right, 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 right. Um, okay, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. Let's see. Um, uh, let's see. Mark and go texts. Was the farm there before the subdivision was built? Yes, it was. If so, that's the chance you take. There's only so many places you can have a large dairy farm, and manure does not disappear. No cows, no milk, no cheese. Small farms can't make it anymore. Christine says... There's nowhere else on the farm to build that storage facility. I find that hard to believe. And I, I don't know that that's I, – I don't, I don't think that's the argument. I think there might be plenty of places to build the facility on the farm. This is a large farm. But right now, the, the law, the ordinances, say that you can build one of these facilities within 250 feet of, of the property line. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do the homeowners have a legitimate beef? Kathy in West Dallas. Kathy, good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Kathy. Um, no, farmers have the rights. They were there first. Mm-hmm. I said when you, when I talked to whoever answered first. Right. It's kind of like when you move next to a pig farm and then you complain that the pigs smell. Right. Manure right. smells. If you move next to a farm, farmers have manure. Well, it see, smells. now, does it make a difference, though? They're, they're, not, they're not saying the guy shouldn't be able to farm, and they're not saying, you know, you can't spread manure and things like that. They're objecting to a 10 million gallon manure storage facility being built close to their property. Does, does that make a difference or no? Well, how do they know that when it's stored, it smells? 
Well, I, <laughs> I, I think that's probably a. I, I think that that's probably given. Let's assume for the sake of argument that it is going to smell. I mean, do they still have a? But you, you, you think you don't think they have any beef? They live, no. live next to the farm, and so you move in, you get what you deserve. Okay, thanks for the call. I will tell you where I come down on this. We're going to take a couple more calls in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. Again, this is this is one of these things. It is the tension that is going on now as you have you know the these communities in. Predominantly rural areas, but li- close to urban areas, that they, they, they want they want the property tax revenue, they want the developments, they want these homes to go in. But as the homes go in, it does create this tension between. I mean, here you've got a farm, an operation that's been in existence for generations, versus the homeowners. Okay, who's right? Who's wrong? We dis- we continue the conversation. It's eleven twenty. This is Jeff Wagner. Eleven twenty-three. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Special guest coming up in about twenty minutes. It's a surprise to pretty much everybody. Um, stick around. Chris in Ripon. Chris, you're on six twenty. WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. So, uh, I guess a couple of things to keep in mind. I'm actually a dairy farmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, up that is Ripon. hard work, Chris. My hats off to you. Those <laughs> those cows don't know if it's Christmas Day or New Year's Day or the Fourth of July or whether you feel good or bad. They just know they got to be milked, right? Exactly. They're they're uh, they're pretty high maintenance. <laughs> yes. So, anyway, um, maybe to answer a couple of the questions that some of the other callers um, maybe had. Um, so, a, a farm of this size that has over a thousand animal units, which right. is considered a CAFO. Right. Um, like you said, they have to have storage for 180 days a year, and the right. reason that they have to do that is, for one, you can't spread manure on crops during the growing season, so most of your summer months. Right. Um, that's not an option. Um, and farms that size, they can't spread during the winter months when the ground is frozen either. Sure, right. So so you have small windows in, in spring and fall when they can apply manure, so they have to have a place to store the manure in the meantime. Right. Um, as to uh, one of the, the questions one of the other callers had about um, the location of the manure pit and trying to put it somewhere else, um, it has to be, logistically, it has to be feasible where they put it in location to the barns to get the manure from the barn to the pit. Um, right. If it's know, a huge problem, what you're saying is you can't, have, you can't have to drive it three acres to get from one place to the other. Yeah. It, it's like if you were building a, a swimming pool in your backyard, you're not going to put it in the back corner of a five-acre lot. Right. Uh, you know, 200 yards from the house. You want it to be close to the buildings. And, you know, depending on, on the layout of, of the farm and where buildings and stuff are, maybe they've only got one option. And it happens to be, you know, in the direction of where some of these houses are. Does, does 250 feet seem awful close to a lot line to you, or is it just, it, it, does, is that something that makes sense? Um, you know, it, it might seem close to some people. Um, but realistically, if you're worried about the, the smells of the pit, it's not going to make much difference if you're 250 <laughs> feet away or if you're 1,000 feet away. You're, what you're saying um, is, it, it, pardon my French, but you're screwed regardless is what you're saying. <laughs> it, it, it's going to smell. And, and from personal experience, my house is actually, so we milk about 140 cows, and the manure pit for our farm is honestly probably about 250 feet from my house, literally. Right. And, yeah, when the wind is out of the west and it's gusting <laughs> at 30 miles an hour, yeah, it's probably going to smell a little bit right there. And that's, you, you know, know maybe, it's something that I'm going to deal with. Yeah, maybe it maybe it's just me, but, I, you know, and, of course, not being a dairy farm and stuff, I, the, the, idea of, the, the idea of buying a home anywhere near a place that was going to have a manure pit, <laughs> I mean, I just wouldn't do it. I mean, I just, and I get it. I mean, I, I understand you got to have them and stuff. I'm just saying I, I wouldn't do it. So so your your essential response is it's just 
it's too bad. This is just one of the things that happens. The farm was there first, and people just have to live with it. You know, I, I think the farmer is going to try and do what he can to try and minimize smell um, as much as possible just to try and help, sure. you know, keep the neighbors happy. But there, there's only so much you can do, and unfortunately, yeah, they moved in later, and you're just going to have to deal with it at this point. Right. No, thank, thanks for calling. And you make an interesting point. I mean, the way I understand it, um, the, the regulations require that, that, that a farm this size have something like this. Um, let's talk to Ron in Antigo. Ron, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Well, um, speaking from personal experience, I lived in a house out in the country for 30 years. And uh, the farmer down the road, uh, it's a farm. We lived with that. There was no problem. And, uh, my wife passed away three years ago with cancer, so you and I have something yes. in common. Yes, sir. Uh, Forty years of marriage. But uh, in any case, uh, he put in a pit, and it was well over a million gallons Right across the road from his farm, and his farm is about a quarter mile just west of me. He put the pit out in the field southwest of me. Uh, I'm sure he reached that minimum 250 right, yeah. feet or whatever it is. But anyways, it was about... Uh, a football and a half field away from us. Um, you absolutely could not stand it. There yeah. were times in the summer that you had to go inside the house. You go in the house, the house smells like it. Right. Uh, at night, it'd be a nice, comfortable night. You open the windows, 3 o'clock in the morning, you close them because of the density yep. of the air. The smell comes back down again. Yep. Uh, it was not very pleasant. 30 years in the house, and uh, he was in other, there's some other uh, right. anyway, circumstances. But one of the main reasons I left there is you could not sit out in the summer. It's so bad. Right. Uh, he had told us that the, the the pond would skim over, and we wouldn't have that problem. The pond has never skimmed over yeah. the years that it was there. Um, we did everything we could to, uh, the neighbors did and all that, to try to do whatever we could to actually stop him. Right, but it uh, didn't work. It didn't work because the agricultural laws in the United States have not changed since the 30s. Right, 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 right. Whatever they want to do, the DNR says, go ahead and do it. You have the authority to do it. There's right. We can do about it. So these, homeowner, yeah. these homeowners aren't going to get anywhere, is your opinion? Exactly. They're not going to do anything. There, there's no, nothing that they can step in and stop from doing as long as they follow the agricultural rules and put this in a pit. Yeah, which it sounds uh, like. Gonna, yeah, yeah it sounds like that's right. Yeah. Uh, thanks to call, Ron. And Brian. I'm very sorry for your loss. Believe me, I'm very sorry for your loss. Um, I, I guess that, I mean, obviously you would hope that the farmer would try to locate this, this pit, this storage facility, you know, as as far away from property lines as possible. But here's the truth, and I think Ron makes it. That I was glad he called in because the truth is, I don't think if you're talking about something this size, I don't think it's going to make much difference whether it's 250 feet or whether it's 500 feet. It's you know when the wind blows a certain direction, it's going to be like it is. And um, it's to me, you you can't make the farmer stop. It's one of these things that candidly buyer beware, and it it is one of those situations that you. You buy in these areas, you buy next to some large farm, you just got to understand that this might be what happens. And I'm I'm sorry for Mike McCarthy, I'm sorry for the other neighbors, but I just don't see any way of stopping this. It's 1129, this is Jeff Wagner. Eleven thirty six, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's game two of the Brewers and Nationals for our nation's capital. We'll have it for you here on WTMJ. Jeff Levering and Lane Grindle hit the airwaves at five thirty tonight, sponsored by Delta Dental. Be sure to check that out. All right. Um, last year, one of the big controversies locally, and and it was only controversial because you had a bunch of rich people on the Lower East Side who whined about this. 
and their rich county supervisor, Sheldon Wasserman, decided to take up their cause. Remember, like last summer and early in the fall, there was the Pokemon Go craze. You know, Pokemon Go being the, the game where you know people would get out and they would um, Lake Park. Um, what was designated as like a, a stop. And so you had all these people that were walking around playing Pokemon Go, capturing whatever you capture. And, and you had people from all over the area going, heaven forbid, they were going to Lake Park. They were going to a Milwaukee County Park. They were walking around. They were enjoying it. But they were also parking on the streets in the really rich neighborhood surrounding Lake Park. And you had some, not all, not all, but some of the people who didn't like the idea that you had the great unwashed coming into the Lower East Side and, and parking parking on their streets. And you had all sorts of people who were walking through the park, and, and, and some of them, well, some of them stepped on a couple flowers and things like that. But you had you know hundreds and hundreds of people who were having fun. They were using the park. And Sheldon Wasserman, who was the county supervisor well, for that area, he didn't like it because some of his well-heeled constituents didn't like it. So what happened was the county board passed an ordinance which says if you're one of these game developers like a Pokemon Go, before you can set up an operation like a Pokemon Go GameStop, um, you have to apply for and obtain a permit like any other business or group that wants to host park events. So, you know, if, if like if, if I want to have if WTMJ wants to have a, a picnic with listeners, you no, know, we have to go get a permit. But this would say that if, if you were one of these electronic outfits, you're based out of Seattle, Washington, or San Francisco, California, you've got to get a permit as well if you want to, again, the equivalent would be like this GameStop. Fees are due on a sliding scale, anywhere from 100 to to $1,000, depending on how much of the park will be used and how many people are expected to be there. All right, so they, they pass this ordinance, ably signs it, and it says before you can have one of these augmented reality games, you have to have a permit. Well, along comes the, this group based out of California called Candy Lab, Inc. Candy Lab is developing, it's not Pokemon Go, but it's this um, augmented reality game called Texas Ropem, which is a variation of the card game. Now, it's, this actually sounds interesting. Texas Hold'em. Um, what happens is, it's currently apparently being tested in Milwaukee, Austin, London, and other cities. Um, in the augmented reality version, gamers are directed to different stops to pick up cards and build a five-card hand to play against a computer-controlled dealer. Just as in Pokemon Go, virtual cards appear in the real world as players use their smartphones to go to different spots. Okay, this ordinance that they have would stop them from setting up uh, this Operation Lake Park. Well, they went ahead and did it anyways. And they sue Milwaukee County, saying that this ordinance is a violation of very, it's a violation of our free speech rights. You know, this isn't the same as WTMJ wanting to have a picnic. This is, this is virtual reality. And late last week, federal judge J.P. Stadmiller, who hired me for the U.S. Attorney's Office when he was the U.S. Attorney, I knew him when he was Joe Stadmiller, but that's back in the day. Federal judge issues a preliminary injunction shutting down this ordinance, uh, essentially saying that, hey, they have a right to do this. This ordinance 
violates the First Amendment. And that this is essentially, I mean, this was a couple of rich people, and Sheldon Wasserman, who's a rich guy himself, deciding that they just didn't like people using the parks. That this whole augmented reality thing, I think, is the greatest thing since canned beer. And again, if, if you've got people that are in the parks after curfew, well, okay, then you give them tickets. If you give people, if you have people that are, I don't know, trespassing or littering or whatever, you you give them tickets. And that's pretty much precisely what the federal judge found. He said the ordinance dooms itself in its failure to provide narrowly drawn, reasonable, and definite standards to guide county officials who must apply it. Uh, The game in question contains the least minimum quantum of expression needed to constitute protectable speech. Um, In a final slap at Milwaukee County officials, the judge says the ordinance is revealed for its strangeness and lack of sophistication. To which I say amen. I was saying this when they first passed it. It was a strange ordinance. It did not get the nuances of the law. It was a knee-jerk reaction to, again, some rich people who lived on the Lower East Side and expensive houses who didn't like the idea that people were coming to actually use the park that they lived across from, and they had a county supervisor who was able to kind of orchestrate this ordinance. Federal Judge J.P. Stadmiller putting the brakes on this. Now, there will be a trial, but right now there's just a preliminary injunction which says the ordinance is unenforceable. It was a it bad it was an ill conceived, mean spirited ordinance in the first place. It should never have been passed. And the fact that it doesn't pass constitutional muster should come as a surprise to no one. And as a taxpayer in Milwaukee County, I hope they decide not to fight this injunction. It would you want to talk about adding insult to injury. If they spend one dime in legal fees more trying to fight this through the courts that will again be even more of an outrage so for the moment pokemon go or in this case the texas ropum game uh, it can be played without having to get a permit oh oh the horrors you might actually have people coming and using the parks huh go figure um it is 11:43. in just a couple minutes a special guest joins us stick around <laughs> It's 1146, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Today is a bittersweet day for me. Um, if, if you ever, I, I always say that in order to do what I do for a living, um, one of the keys is you have to have a really good producer. Um, and if anybody ever wonders about, gee, how did that particular caller get on? I always say you should hear the callers that don't get on. And any successful talk show host, if they're honest, will tell you you need a really, really good producer. I have been very fortunate here in WTMJ. Going on 20 years, I, I've, I've had I've had five. Um, I've had five full-time producers who stayed with me for, for years. And um, their value just cannot, cannot be underscored. For the last several years, my producer has been hot. Matter of fact, when I introduced Hondo it's at Insight, when we were doing that earlier this year, next to the governor, Hondo got the biggest round of applause. There, there was no doubt about it. Um, today is a little bit bittersweet because at least temporarily, this is Hondo's last day producing the show. He's going to be staying at WTMJ, taking on another role, at least for the foreseeable future. Maybe he'll be back at some point in time, but it, it kind of works out. My, my guess is... My guess is that this. My guess is I won't see you again, other than a fill-in. But but who knows? But I, my tradition is when producers get ready to move on or fly from the nest, always invite them in. So um, this segment is Hondo speaks. 
introduce yourself to the audience. Hey, everybody. Hondo, otherwise known as Vince Figuero to everybody else. <laughs> and uh, if the indication from Insight was anything, if things don't work out here, I can just run for governor. <laughs> you, you, you and the governor got the two loudest rounds yeah. of applause. There, there was no question. So how long have you been producing the show? I was trying to think about this this morning. You know, I've been at the station for 10 years. How long you and I have been together? It might be four or five. Well, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. A- absolutely. And and you were very good enough when, when my shift changed um, from noon to three until late 30 noon you were very good enough to um adjust your schedule and daycare for your son and all those things to, to come on in and you're going to be staying at the station um and and handling big time production work due to the retirement of one of our friends at least for the foreseeable future yes one of our fellow producers jim gillis is retiring uh you may not know his name but you've i'm sure you've heard his voice on uh, many of our commercials here at the station uh, so he'll be retiring and i'll be taking over that and keeping all the commercials running here on WTMJ. So that we end up getting paid. Now, you, know, um, you have a very interesting background because um, you're, you're involved in comedy. You do all sorts of things when you're not producing the program. Absolutely, yes. Um, I've done lots of work with comedy sports. There's a new group in Milwaukee called Mojo Dojo. I do improv with them. I've taken classes off Chicago. I've been a part of improv, sketch, uh, various plays in the area. I've done everything but stand-up. That's the one thing <laughs> in comedy that scares me. Um, well, but there, there's still time. Here, see, we're getting all sorts of texts wishing oh. you the best of luck. Thanks for the good work, Hondo. Good luck out there. That's from Mike in Waukesha. Oh, thank you. What, what's the hardest part of the job? Hardest part of the job? Well, working with you, you're a you're a very easygoing. Wait, working with me is the hardest part of the no, job. No, no, okay. Great. Um, I'd say some callers can be challenging, right? Uh, but it's it's a fun job. I, I really have had a good time working with you, being your producer, uh, figuring everything out. It's it's a lot to manage behind the scenes because I have to uh, keep track of everything that's going on. Uh, of course, with, with the show, answer the phone calls, and then keep an eye on what's happening with the news. And you know know how things go, Jeff. News can happen so very quickly that we have to be try try to be as quick as we can to get the latest breaking information on the air. So it's- what what makes a good caller? When and again, I don't. I mean, see, I, I we we sit rooms of rooms apart, and every once in a while, I, I give you that look, and we we both know what makes bad callers, and yeah. it, and everybody quickly learns that there's a certain look I give, which no producer wants, which is explain to me why you thought that was a good call, yeah, sure. but nobody wants to get that um, more than once. But what makes what makes a good caller? What is something that you're for people who call in and want to get on the air? What 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 do you look for? Well, the first foremost, it's radio, so you have to audibly sound good. Uh, two, do you have something relevant to say to the topic? And three. Uh, something to really add to the conversation. My point of view is whether they agree with you or disagree, as long as they have something to really contribute to the conversation, they'll probably get on air. Are you surprised at how hostile some people are? Because I, I, I can, I, I just, you, you are the ultimate filter. The producer is in general, but you certainly are in particular. Because I, every once in a while, I, I can tell that you, you've got somebody who's just. Not taking no for an answer. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there are some people who are relentless in their anger on a particular topic, and we do a wide variety of topics on this show. So, again, for something like Trump, it's easy to see why somebody could get so angry. But for something like we were just talking about manure, how someone could get so angry about right. an issue like that is sometimes very surprising to me. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your background. I, I talk about Hondo Jr., but there is a, there is a Hondo Jr., but it's actually... Uh, yes, Tony is his real name. That's, <laughs> that's, that's my son. 
And uh, like me, and in some respects like you, we are all night owls. So right. uh, we'll stay up late, and in the summertime, we're, we've been staying up late, too. And it's uh, not always easy to get up in the morning. But, uh, yeah, it's a great adventure being a father. It's given me insight into some of the topics we cover here on air. Uh, so part of me, um, I don't often voice my opinion uh, when you're doing the show, but right. sometimes I'm thinking... As a father, you don't quite get it, but uh, it's 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 a lot of fun and right. I love having them around. And you are also, you know, a lot of my program I, as as a student of pop culture, you're you're also we we always have a lot of fun talking about movies and TV shows and things like that. You're into the. Uh, some of the, the fantasy type of stuff, the science fantasy things like that, and all. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's been a, in that respect. It's another really fun show to work on because we're not always talking about politics, and uh, we always talk after the show about what movies you're going to this weekend, <laughs> or what I'm going to go see this weekend, uh, or what's on TV. Uh, I think we still have to get you a Netflix account. So <laughs> still have, still haven't done stuff. that. No. It, I, it, every once in a while when I pop up, when I turn on the one TV, it pops up and says you can sign up for it. So I, I'm hooked up, but I just yeah. haven't signed up for well, it yet. Well, you have to sign up for it. There's a lot of great stuff on Netflix we have to discover for you. But uh, yeah, a, a great student of pop culture and there's always new stuff to discover. And just like the Pokemon Go thing, I remember when that first was breaking you came to me and i explained to you how pokemon go works <laughs> yes, so. yes exactly that was, that was a lot of fun. but as you, as you try to keep the old guy current vince i, I wanted to just say that i i've been very very fortunate like i say only five producers and interestingly enough um four of the five producers including you e- after they stopped producing the show they they went on to positions here at wtmj and including you three people are now still there um, Elise relocated um, to uh, to Georgia, and um, my first producer, Young Dan, he, he was at TMJ full-time position after he left me for several years. Now he's off in his own successful career. But I, I just wanted to publicly bring you in and tell you how much I have appreciated all your hard work and your dedication to making this program a success over the last several years. And um, if you're back, you're welcome. If you don't come back, um, you know, I wish you the very best, and I know all the people that you have talked to over the last several years feel the same way. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And it's been a great honor to work for the station and for you. And uh, I can't imagine the last five years without being here working with you. Hondo Speaks. It's 1154. Um, Scafidi and Bill Stad are in next. Stick around.